G'day and welcome to Green and Gold Rugby Podcast or Podslam 96, sponsored by Strike.com.au, Australia's biggest suppliers of uh, Bluetooth car kits. Uh, joining me tonight, as usual, I've got Scott Allen. Scott, mate, how are you? Good, Matt. Good to talk to you. Yeah, good to have you on. Uh, good... We haven't heard from you for a few weeks. Yeah, and no, I had to, had to push out Timsey. Um, he was getting a little bit too big for his boots, trying to reorganise things, uh, trying to go against the chronological order and everything like that. Mate, um, don't you mean disorganise things? Yeah, <laughs> that's his way, isn't it? Um, but we'll, we'll get to that later on. But first, look, uh, our um, star guest tonight is a man... Uh, I don't think there's much he hasn't done in the in the field of rugby. Um, Adrian Moose Skeggs, mate, uh, how are you? Oh, mate, bundle of joy, mate. Uh, I don't think uh, I actually did kick a field goal once, but I don't remember it. So that's probably I, I might have achieved everything then. <laughs> that's, pro- that's something props shouldn't be doing, as we know. Anyway. Well, not if I'm supposed to be scrummaging, no. <laughs> mate, is that where I, uh, Matt Dunning got the idea? Yeah, well, uh, yeah, but mine went over. <laughs> Is that, that, that's so the, did his. Yeah, 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 but mine went over the grandstand. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but Skegsy, look, let, let's let's start from the beginning because I mean, trying to pick the stories to talk about with you um, is going to be the you know to try and whittle them down will be the tough bit. But um, I think probably the, the biggest stat we should know is like you know what the first Lord Howe Islander um, to play in the Australian setup. That's that's where you're from, is it not? Mate, I'm a. Uh, it's it's pretty. I'm a native of Lord Howe Island. Obviously, grew up there. I was born there and stuff. And um, never wore shoes till I was 14. Got thrown into the Armadale School and um, didn't know what this rugby was all about. And um, you know, suddenly got thrown in there. And um, yeah, it was an interesting journey from there. And you know, played obviously Taz. It's uh, now it's great that Taz are in the GPS uh, competition, but certainly. Yeah, first 15 for a couple of years, had a bit of a taste of a thing there. I like the idea of the, the, the crash thing. That's what we normally do on Lord Owen because there's no streetlights. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, then came to Sydney. Uh, yeah, did a phys ed degree, then found the old ring of rats there and uh, made uh, the rest is history, I suppose. Uh, that was the, the start of the evolution, but uh, went on to great things and see the world with it. So, um, yeah, that was a great, a, a great beginning, but certainly where it went from there was enormous. But mate, just to take you right back to those early days to start with, um, there's a funny story, isn't it? Didn't they? Didn't the locals actually club together and get their money together to get you off Lord Howe Island? Is is, is there a, is there truth to that story? Yes. Well, look, you know, we all have a little bit of a mischievous start to, to a life. But uh, my mother was very very sick, so I didn't have a father. So um, you know, I used to go around and create own fun. But you know, creating own fun there was uh, was probably interesting because around 13, 14, my idea of fun was. Um, I burnt down a cowboy, a tourist shack and two boat sheds. So, um, you know, on Lord Island, rather than sending smoke signals, it's more like self-preservation. But my mother passed away then and the community got together and said, well, it's either, you know, she was a fantastic person, but it was also self-preservation for the island. Actually, uh, you know, they sponsored me for five years ago, the Armadale School. So it was um, a historical beginning, but certainly uh, when I look back on it, it was very, very funny. 
And so you ended up, is it, was it prop that you played for most of your career? How did you, how did you find your way to that position? Well, I, the strange thing was, is when I went to school, I was, I was probably as big as I was now and I went to school, you know. I mean, when I was born, they fed me with a slingshot. I was that big. So um, the fact is, is uh, you know, going to the Armadale school, and you know, ne- never wearing shoes, always been the surf and, you know, getting up there, I didn't know what ice was and all that sort of stuff. So it sort of was a pretty rude introduction. But I was always tall. So they shoved me. They shoved me at. Um, they shoved me into the second row there and stuff. And yeah, the darkness of being there was pretty, pretty dawning. But when I came down to Sydney and that sort of stuff, I realised there's a lot more, a lot of taller people around. But um, then Slaggy Miller and Topo Rodriguez got hold of me and said, "Mate, you're too, you're not, you're too ugly for there. You got to get up in the front row." And that was it. <laughs> Haven't looked back. Yeah, well, I, well, I, due to my neck and the way it's been in the front row, it's very hard to look back. <laughs> So and so, I'd say Warringah, but then uh, you, you know you went on to uh, bigger and better things. You, you played for the Tars, uh, and then also toured. You know you're a Wallaby tourist. Is that not right? Yeah, yeah. Look, I, I think the thing about it, it's it's an amazing story because mate, it's all about tenacity and the end of the day is sticking with it. And um, yeah, my my sort of my my you know if I got near the ball, it was probably pretty scary. But if I got near the opposition, I think that's what I delighted in. So the old the, the old stay of, of sort of pre-professional time was it was a very physical game, and we we're a very a big side at Ringer. But I got I got picked in '89 as my first representative game for the uh, New South Wales against the British Lions, and. Um, Mate, I went out there. It was a lot faster and stuff. I come off with half my ear missing and my head split open and that sort of stuff. And I was just sitting there going, "Wow, man, this I love this. Got to have more of it." So, um, um, yeah, there was a great, a great evolution. But that that first experience of playing rep footy, mate, I I, I never looked back from there. And then and went on and obviously did a lot of amazing things. And so was that Lions game your first uh, rep footy game? Yeah, no, I got I, we played Ramwick the week before, which is obviously like do we went out there and. And I uh, actually got into them and beat them up, and they obviously had a lot of the you know, front row. And uh, I actually put Hugh and Mc- I think I played tight head, and Hugh and McKenzie was on the was a was a reserve for that day. So for me, I uh, obviously uh, had a good day. But that was Phil Kearns' first rep game as well. So uh, for New South Wales, and uh, you know we had some pretty interesting people like Scott Goulet and a few of those guys playing. So it was a you know for me it was a massive honour. But the, the honour was that you know I got people from Lord Island, you know. Um, Flying over to see me play and all this sort of stuff, and you know, I, I think that I, was, I was I was so proud because I was representing my island more than, you know, representing my peninsula, I suppose. Yeah, and so because I, I guess I was thinking about coming onto it, but it's, it seems to make sense here. Um, so that's quite a big thing, is it? That that eighty nine, because obviously we've got the Lions coming over this year, um, and they're going to be playing against New South Wales. I understand there's a bit of a reunion that you're you're involved with. Uh, well. Yeah, well, that's a look. The great thing about rugby, I suppose, when you go and playing through at all rep level, is the fact is that you've got friends for life, and I use those friends now on all different levels. And certainly, you know, those those times, uh, the people involved in rugby in those days are now running corporations and um, all sorts of things. So for me, you know, rugby's fantastic not only for camaraderie, but the business sort of the business thing throughout the world is huge. And then, so we actually are having. Um, we're supporting a we're supporting the Dick Laffham Lunch, which is a foundation charity for his son, mm-hmm. Matt, who basically is stuff. And we're actually got a reunion of the '89 New South Wales Lions team, which obviously you know have got people from Nick Farr Jones through to you know uh, Simon Poitam and Damien Frawley and that sort of stuff, and Lloyd Walker and all these guys. So it was a very 
unusual bunch, but a fantastic group of guys and really looking forward to catching up with them. Well, that should be fantastic. Because that's, um, and you probably, uh, those people listening, you're probably going to see a bit of about it on the uh, website on Green and Gold Rugby as well. But Because um, yeah. it's a great, so that's the Thursday, there's, there's a big lunch, isn't there? That's, that's the Thursday, Thursday before yeah. the game, is it? That's yeah, Thursday, Thursday the 13th of June. Um, basically, uh, there's the, the country, New South Wales, Queensland country game on, the, I think, the Wednesday prior, and then there's a New South Wales team are playing the Lions on the, on the, on the 15th. So um, it, it, it is huge, but I think the fact is that, you know, the whole place is going to be rampant with foreign people coming in, obviously, for that. And I think the idea of having a signature time where we're, we're celebrating what a great side it was. And, look, we only just lost the game, but the thing about it was it's, you know, it's coming back to you know, be part of the euphoria of having you know, one of the greatest franchises being the British Lions touring Australia. And, and how, many, how many of the old team, I don't want to say are still alive, but are actually going to be able to, be able to make it to the lunch? Well, you know, we've got, uh, there's a few guys like, uh, believe it or not, um, obviously Campo is probably going to be over there still doing his lessons in Afrikaans in South Africa. Yeah. Um, and then we've got guys like Kent Bray, he's going to be in England and stuff. But really there's not, you know, we, there's not too many people coming. I mean, if you look at Kernsey, I mean, I think Steve Cutler, yes, he's the other one. He's based in America now, but... Mm. Uh, you know, we've got, uh, uh, you know, I'd probably say nearly 80% of the team coming and, and what a great mixture. Well, and, and that team reads a bit of a who's who of, you know, international rugby at that time because oh, well, unlike, when, unlike yeah. these days, they don't hold back, the, the big names didn't get held back from these rap games, did they? Well, you know, the, back in those days, you, you know, I was actually played, picked to play in that game and obviously uh, we were playing on the Saturday against the Lions and I was actually picked to play for Ringer on the Sunday against Sydney Uni, um, due to due to having half my um, you know half my uh, ear taken off and all sorts of things. I you know I looked like Hannibal Lecter. Um, the fact is, I just, I just couldn't do it. But that's what you did in those days. Um, and the thing about it is, you know, club rugby was just was was massive. And yeah, you know, I've seen Nick Farr Jones play a Test match on a Saturday and go and play stuff for Uni. So. Yeah, you know, a lot, a lot, a, a different approach, but you know, everything's just evolved. Everything's changed now, and you know, a lot more sanitised. But you know, let's let's hope that we get the product right. Because I mean, the, the, the so the names in that team that will be at that lunch, it's like you got is it like uh, guys like Far Jones, Poito, Tyneman, yeah. Mackenzie. Well, if, yeah. Well, so if you go sort of yeah, there's obviously Mark Hale, Coons, and myself, Damien Frawley, and. You've got point of them, uh, you know, the bird, Steve Tyneman, you know, Scott Goulet, Nick Farr-Jones, um, and then you go sort of back to Lloyd Walker and Darren Janee and, you know, Marty Roebuck and stuff. But, you know, they, the amazing thing about these guys, they stood all, all of them have stood the test of time. Yeah. And, 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 and really, at the end of the day, when you look back on what they all achieved in rugby, the fantastic thing is, is to come together and, and celebrate this thing. It'd be just it'd be a bit of magic. Well, like I said, we'll have more about that uh, on the site uh, as we get closer. But um, so, mate, what happened? You know, after that, did you? I understand you you went touring with the Wallabies at one stage. Yeah, no, I saw the light. Went and played for Queensland. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, old uh, through uh, John Conley, uh, John Knuckles Conley. He said, "Look, come up to uh, if you want to track because obviously Hugh and McKenzie was my biggest competition, and Mark Hardhill." Yeah. And I uh, went up to Queensland and had, and had four years at Queensland. We won two Super Tens in those days. Um, I got a good teaching job up there with Churchy up there, stuff. And, you know, I, I, I just realised they have a different 
they, that Queensland have a different attitude to, to a lot of their sport. And I, I think that people need to understand why, you know, when they go out and win State of Origin and wins that stuff. But I think it's just a case of sort of, you know, when I was there, Leo Williams said to me, I'll go learn how to be a Queenslander. So he sent me over with Sam Scott Young and I got over there. And, I mean, you've ever more, met a more staunch Queenslander than him, but he got over there and said, the first problem is you've got blue eyes. And I thought, you know. <laughs> I'm in trouble straight away here, but uh, but he wasn't joking. And uh, the fact was that they, they I think they they seem to have this sort of thing that they're very they're, they're very more proud to play for Queensland than Australia second. Right. So the thing is, for me, that's that's tribalism at its best. And I learned that in a way where, um, yeah, not not being a big city like you know, Sydney is, I think they got uh, they got it right. And uh, John Collin was very very good at keeping everyone tucked in. You know, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so for Queensland, four years at Queensland, 93, Wallaby Tourist. Uh, you know, went to Canada, America, Canada and France. And obviously coming back in that time, for me, you know, the biggest thing that, you know, what, what people need to understand is that, you know, all this time I was, I, I was a Lord Islander, mm-hmm. and I was very, very proud of being a Lord Islander. And I think people need to understand it's, it's your roots where you came from. So when I actually played my first game against Canada, I actually had a photo of, um, Lord Howe Island with my pocket and I had a photo of my mother because obviously she gave me a lot of my, you know, a lot of my, I suppose, spirit and a lot of my ambition, that sort of stuff, and she struggled for a lot of years. So I was very, very proud. I actually lost the photo of Lord Howe Island and the stuff, and I remember going in with Jake Howard and all these people looking for my photo of Lord Howe Island on the rugby pitch up at Canada and I actually found it. So, you know, little, little things like that, you know, mm-hmm. little things like that are... Um, you know, uh, are pretty, you know, they're pretty special in your time. But uh, certainly from my point of view of um, um, going on from there, I went uh, to South Africa and that, that again, was another amazing experience. But, mate, just before you go on to that, who was, so who was coaching the Wallabies on that tour? Well, we had Bob Dwyer. Mm. Bob Dwyer was the coach. But, you know, when you're a, you know, people don't understand when they had long tours in those days. Mm. And um, I was very lucky to have Bob Templeton. Uh, Bob Templeton, was, we, we were the dirt trackers, so really at the end of the day, our weekend sort of finished on a Wednesday because that's when you played the game, yeah. you know. So it was really, it was a, you know, when you go touring and that sort of stuff, it's a, it's a really is an unusual experience because, you know, you've, you've got to look after the, you know, the midweek games. And they don't play too many of them now. So the fact is it's, um, you know, when you go to places like America and Canada, fantastic places to go and tour. Um, you know, I was sitting up there, my nickname's Moose, and there I was in a Moose orphanage up there in Banff, and right next to us a Moosehead Beer Brewery and stuff. And man, I'm just sitting there going, "Wow, you know, yeah, it doesn't get any better than this," you know. Yeah. Well, I think Scott, and, you, you had a look at uh, some of uh, Moose's kind of uh, past and other places he's he's worked and coached. What what was in that stuck out to you? And, sorry, who was that? Scott. Scott was just got a question for you here. Yeah, Scotty. Yep. So, mate, interesting story. Tell us about how you were coached Bermuda and Trinidad and Tobago. Well, mate, you've jumped ahead about five years. But anyway, what I'll do is I'll, I'll just put patch that up there. But, mate, uh, obviously went to South Africa, coached and played for the Natal for a couple of years and went to South, uh, went to Western Province. Then I went and did an assistant coaching job with uh, Harlequins with Zinzan Brook, Bernie McCarley and John Gallagher. And we had guys like Garrick Morgan and John Schuster and all those big guys there. Then I actually was head coach of Worcester for a couple of years. I decided to do something a bit different and I tried because I'm an ex-phys ed teacher. I wanted to go and do something where I could go and see the world and 
the massive thing about was uh, I had a guy called Bruce Cook, who's now the IRB manager for the region here, but he was a trainer up there and Hugh Morgan and that stuff. And uh, I got an opportunity to actually go do some work in the West Indies. So um, I went and helped out uh, Bermuda for about uh, six months. I uh, went down and spent a bit of time in Barbados. I actually went, went and worked in Trinidad and Tobago for a year. And um, amazing thing about it, I actually took them to Manchester Commonwealth Games for sevens. So uh, no one's ever seen a seven-a-side do rolling moors the length of the pitch. <laughs> was that, was that, that was the uh, special tactic, was it, mate? Yeah, no, no. It was just amazing because we played the, one of the first games when we played the we played the Australian team. There's you know Julian Gardner and all these guys, and you know it's, it's quite funny because our guys, uh, you know, we were we were struggling to get over there and lots of stuff. But it was a fantastic time. And look, but you know what people have got to realise that you know when a World Cup finishes, they're actually qualifying for the following World Cup start straight again. So then you know I've coached in places like Guam and all this stuff where Guam plays India, and if they whoever wins that they go on and stuff. Well, it's the same in the West Indies. Uh, the West Indies had a knockout thing. They had a World Cup qualifiers in the Cayman Islands, and there I was coaching Bermuda in the Cayman Islands, looking at you know, you're looking at this fantastic ground they built down there from the expats, and um, and mate, it was just an amazing experience to see one of the last frontiers of amateurism at its best. And these people just loved the game. And look, you know, it was a bit difficult because a lot of me, you I know, couldn't throw a ball or a line out well, or that sort of stuff. But they've certainly all moved on, and. Um, and the IIB's got a lot of influence in the region now, but certainly, um, yeah, it's very much expat-driven down there. And Adrian, we, we could talk about this subject for probably an hour or so, but give us your quick views on what's the scrum, what's going wrong with the scrum these days. Oh, look, I I think at the end of the day, you know, they, they try and, you know, they get the stage, crouch, touch, pause, all these types of things. But, I, you know... Um, I get. I think they just should get the halfback stand there, and as soon as the scrum's in, just get the ball in straight, get it out. You know, I, I think you know we're going to be in a situation where the lines are going to come over here, and that's going to be the, one of the biggest tools is to wear us down uh, in the scrums. And I look, it's again, it's about technique. I mean, you go to South Africa. I had actually put on five k's over there to play over there because um, they were just so big. I mean, I was packing against 135 k props. But in saying that, technique-wise, you know, it's all about how you work together. And I think at the end of the day, you know, if we have two or three injuries in the, in the Australian side, mate, we're suffering because our depth is pretty ordinary. So I think we need to get to the stage where, you know, scrummaging is about working together. But I think at the end of the day, it's about, you know, being efficient at it. Um, and, um, you know, the Lions are certainly going to test us up front because that's their, that's one of their, their, their probably strengths. Are you, are you just talking about the scrums? Are you seeing... Uh, any signs of hope this year? I mean, it, it kind of feels like, you know, the, the Brumbies have uh, seemed to have kind of got their act together a bit there in the set piece. Um, and, you know, the Tars have shown a few little signs. Do you, do you see a bit of an improvement there or am I being a bit wishful? Well, mate, you do your best dreaming while you're awake. But, um, look, <laughs> um, I, I would probably say the fact it's all about combinations. Yeah. You know, and the thing about it is if you get the right combination, it's like, you know, I mean, you, you look at look at Australian rugby up until when Jenny has come back. I mean, I mean, what a what an unbelievable player he is and what he's done. Well, the fact is if you put him in the right fly half, mate, he's got to light the fire. So it's, it's a back game. Yeah, it's, a back, it's about the front row. And I think the thing is they get the right mix with someone like Moore up the front there. And then... You know, you need someone tough in the middle there because you've got to control the scrum. But you know, I think you know there's, there's there's guys around there. We need we need our props to be 
Yeah, because then the lines come out many years ago. I think we had a guy, Moore, who was just a strong, tight-head prop who went out there and did the job. I think uh, Rod McQueen used him simply for scrummaging. So um, I just think it's about picking the right combination, and uh, I think they've got to try and find that um, in, in due course. But, look, it is promising. I just think the depth depth is the key. Okay. And um, while we're getting your opinions, uh, what about the Tars? Where are they? Are they... Just about, you know, are they at the beginning of their comeback or is not much changed, you know, new coach, no, no change? Look, I, I'm, I'm one of these people I've known, Chica, I went and caught up with Chica the other day. It's, it's amazing. I went and caught him the other day that he was coming back and, like, he's I, he's doing great things. I've, I've actually quite good friends with a few of the players and obviously the head trainer there, uh, Hayden Masters. Mm-hmm. Guys, are going in the right direction. I think at the end of the day, it's been one of those things that on and off the pitch, they've had such a... A mixture of identity crisis, who they are, what they are, and you know who's playing for what. It's going to happen in time. It's not going to be pretty. Um, you know, when I spoke to Cheeks the other day, I actually gave him something back that he gave me many years ago, which is one of his studs in my head. <laughs> but um, but the thing about it is that's 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 what he's about, toughness. And look, you know, it hasn't been pretty. Um, you know, I took a, a mob of Canadians to watch the game the other day, and there's probably fifteen thousand playing there. Look, it, it, it you know. It's it's got to get the stage where we. It's a bit like the you know I suppose going back to the Queensland thing is you know you got to work out who you are. You got to get the stage and who you're playing for, what you're playing for, and just getting those things. And I, I, I all I'm seeing and hearing is that Cheeks has got to go in the right place. It's not going to happen overnight. So look, we just we'll stick with it and we'll just see how we go. Okay, good one. Um, and Scott, did you have a, a question about uh, club stuff? Yeah, mate, you, you talked about going back and, you know, you're playing your rep footy and then you go back and play club rugby on the Sunday. What, it, yeah. what are your views on how the club scene's going at the moment? Well, look, you know, the difficult thing is, is uh, you know, I, I came back to Australia and I always spruiked the idea that, you know, we had some of the best, um, you know, best preparation in regards to how we trapped the sport and, you know, that Australia rugby was this and this stuff. But, you know... What we've got to do is, you know, what are we throwing our resources at? And the fact is, is you know, we, people can turn around and say, well, if we don't have a strong rugby, a strong club scene and we, don't have, we haven't even got a platform to go to the next level, and the next level might be a transition between Super 12 or, sorry, Super 15 and club. The difficult thing is what I'm seeing is I went down and watched my um, uh, Techie Tuapaludu who coaches uh, Penrith on the weekend. I coached him at Worcester. I just wanted to see, catch up with him as a mate, and he actually went and played my old club, Moringa. He basically, when I got there, he, he actually had a, I think like a broken nose and stuff. But he had 19 players didn't turn up to the day because they had to travel. Now, you take 19 players out of a team at Penrith, so suddenly you've got you know, potentially second grades and first grades playing lower grades just to get the game going. Look, it's, it's in a pretty you – know, and you know, there's, there's a lot of clubs now who are turning around. They just you – know, people, the sponsors, a lot of other sports are doing a lot better. And I just think right now, club rugby is um, the loyalty in regards to stuff is a lot different to when we were playing. But uh, I think that you know, there's a lot of issues there in regards to just keeping club rugby, um, keeping it alive uh, is a big issue now. And I think they really need to address that because I'm hearing a lot of clubs are you know, not only struggling for players, but they're struggling for a lot of things. And, that, and a lot of that's probably to do with finance as well. It's a, a tough issue, and it's not an easy one to definitely not an easy one to, to solve, um, mate. I guess just to finish off, the other thing that uh, and where I bumped into you was at the uh, 
the uh, rugby club, the Sydney Rugby Club, uh, and the uh, rugby network event there that's on every every Monday. I understand you're getting involved helping those guys out as well. Yeah, look, I think what what we need to do is we need to appreciate that you know some of the last frontiers of amateurism is you know is that where those type of rugby clubs came from. And that rugby club, when you walk in there, it's got probably some of them, the icons of the past in regards to some of the signature times and jumpers and that sort of stuff. But it's right in the middle of the city. You know, now the fact is it's um, it's a place where you can, you know, you can go and sit down, have a beer and talk to your mates. But we've been running these rugby business networking things where we bring in an, like an ex-rugby player, an ex, ex-wallaby or something. And there have been some fantastic people being there, Bob Dwyer and... Phil Harry and obviously, you know, uh, Ross Reynolds and these people have done the stuff. But what people get out of is a, a potential uh, business business opportunity. But what they actually do is get a, a true kindred of spirit of what rugby can do for you. Mm-hmm. And um, I've, I'm now a person that lives, has got the stage where my whole life is about how can you add value to those type of opportunities. And um, what I like to, what we like to is a group of us are getting together and trying to revamp you know, revamp the you know what is the what is the purpose of the club? Get people more involved and just get people to appreciate the fact is they can come somewhere. And it's a level playing ground for everyone. But what a what a beautiful place! What a good place! Um, and um, and there's a group of us. The business side of it just want to uh, sorry probably yeah elevate the opportunity, but also elevate the the branding of what the club is and and, and bring people together for just a common cause of enjoying each other's company and getting some business done. Yeah, no, it's been great. I mean, the top couple of times I've been down there, it's been great fun, and uh, good to meet uh, guys like yourself. But mate, look, well, we... yeah, yeah, well, the thing about it is, I wish I could say the same. You know, yeah. I'm just warm to you, you know. <laughs> and uh, thank God you got Scotty in the background there with you know, a bit of spine. <laughs> well, mate, I, I'm, I'm working my hardest. What can I do? Yeah. Well, mate, you know, uh, well, mate, you just keep doing your best, mate. Yeah, I'll keep struggling. But look, mate, it's been good to have you on. Um, I'm sure we'll get you on another time, but um, your time's very precious, and I, I think we've used up all we can afford. Oh, well, mate, uh, look, very, very special. And I, I think anyone that sort of, you know, I sat back one time in, in uh, I coached Namibia in the World Cup in 2003. But when I, when I actually did that, I actually sat back there and I said, there's a Lord of honor to go from there to all to see the world through a sport of rugby people just got to really appreciate we're very very lucky to be part of this unique sport that's true mate look um thanks for coming on and um look we'll we'll catch up with you again sometime always happy to support you guys thanks guys thanks thanks adrian see ya and joining us now First, but not the last time, uh, we're going to have on a bit of a new segment. It's our own kind of social media watch slash kind of gossip columnist, if you will. Regular readers of the site will know who I'm talking about. It's um, Kat. How are you? Yeah, good. Pleasure to be here from the beautiful Blue Mountains at the moment. Oh, are lovely, you? Lovely weather. How's, it's a bit crisp. How's the air? A little crisp. <laughs> it's it's not, quite, not quite brizzy. No. No, I'm not wearing thongs. <laughs> Alrighty. But look... Um, you know, we've had some big wins recently. I, I was actually talking to someone today. I, there's a few people I've talked to, actually, um, sort of talking about the whole, you know, Kirtley Beale incident. And as I was saying to somebody today, actually, that whole thing wouldn't have happened if it hadn't been for you. I mean, talk us through what happened. How did you spot the whole thing? What were you doing? What, 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 what time in the morning was it? Well, look, I'll, first of all, I'd like to preface this by saying I'm an incredibly cool person. Um, so okay. at 9.30am cool. on a Sunday, I was sitting down waiting for offsiders to come on 
Um, <laughs> and I was looking on Twitter. <laughs> I know, I told you I was cool. Yeah. Looking on Twitter and I saw Melbourne Daz had sent a tweet to Kurt, uh, Cooper Vuna that, um, uh, you know, perhaps this isn't the right place to vent. So I've looked at the conversation thread and then kind of gone, holy crap, uh, basically. I, I didn't say crap, but um, I didn't yeah. think this was quite suitable for it. But yeah. And, um, yeah, I, I think it's it probably hit me because it's actually the first time anyone's actually – it's that whole what goes on tour, stays on tour thing. It's the first time I've actually seen it, um, I guess, tainted. Mm. And so, and what, and so, and what, and so that was the whole thing where Cooper had those couple of email, those couple of tweets, basically saying, um, you know, was it professional rugby players, cheap shots, all this sort of stuff? Yeah, and uh, it was professional rugby players shouldn't cheap shot. Then there was um, uh, my favourite one was was where someone asked, yeah, basically, he said that he'd um, walked away from a fight, and then someone asked him, you know, was he drunk? And he replied with, hmm, his name is Kirtley Beale, you know, as if it was kind of self-evident that Kirtley would be drunk. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, I kind of screenshotted them quickly because God knows he'd delete those pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, yeah, and decided to just pop them up without without any commentary or anything like that because yeah. I think they kind of spoke for themselves. So Yeah, it was, it was quite because Because they, they, they disappeared half an hour later, right? Uh, with about yeah, they they weren't up by the time I actually published them on Green and Gold. So um, yeah, pretty pretty uh, pretty quick to get taken down. Yeah, so that, and that was and that was that was quite the scoop. And I mean, you know, if we hadn't had that though, then well, I mean, what do you think would have happened? I mean, it's just no one. It's, you know, there would have been maybe you and a couple of other people in the world would have seen some crazy tweets which deleted. Yeah, I, I think so. Well, probably probably where I. I I think the most interesting part of that is actually um, they interviewed Michael Lippmann and Mark Gerard about it. Yeah. Um, and in the newspaper articles that I read, the Lippmann and Gerard quotes, they, they made them sound like they were on the same side and they were coming from the same angle, but I don't think they did. Yeah. I don't think they were coming from the same angle. So the Michael Lippmann quote, and this is verbatim because I researched it today, yeah. is it's bad enough having a fight on the training field but it's not the first time that Kirtley's been in fights with teammates. And for him to have hit Delve, that says a lot. Okay, so that's what Lippmann said. And Gerard said, I don't think they should be sacked, not for something so minor. Everyone's read about people doing worse things than that. So for mine, they actually aren't saying the same thing at all. No. Um, So the the biggest issue I've got with the first of all, the Michael Lippmann one is, it's not the first time he's been in fights with teammates. And yet, this is the first time that it's ever been more widely than a, uh, you know, kind of known more widely than a, a rumor that everyone's kind of heard, but no one's got any proof of. Yeah. And if, like the Melbourne Rebel statement suggested, that the incident made them realise he needed help. However, if it's not the first time he's belted teammates, why did it take this one and not the previous five, six, however many we've got? Yeah. Why did this one make them think he needed help? Yeah. Well, I, mean- I can't help but think it's exposure. <laughs> Yeah, I mean exactly, and yeah. uh, so that, which is kind of interesting, isn't it? Was that which is that? Well, first of all, obviously, it's not like we've gone in, I don't know, behind doors and exposed something that no one, you know, wanted exposing because obviously, I mean, Cooper Vuna wouldn't have been tweeting about it. Um, That's right. Um, you know, and it's and it seemed to me, you know, it, it doesn't seem to me like Cooper Vuna was off his face tweeting. No, he, he obviously no. he had a message he wanted to get out there, sort of thing, like a cry for help, if you will. Well, Exactly, and I mean, he was about as eloquent as most of those rugby players ever are on Twitter, even if they're absolutely dead cold sober. To me, you're right, it didn't sound like he was drunk. And I guess the weird part for me was that it kind of mirrored that I know he's been portrayed as as he was equally drunk, and he may have been, look, I don't know, I don't have any personal knowledge of that. But basically he sounded like someone who was angry and sick of it all rather than 
um, rather than someone who was just off his face and trying to trying to hurt someone. Mm. Because even Daz, when he told me he wanted to stop tweeting, his direct reply was too bad, everyone needs to know. Yeah. So when someone says everyone needs to know, what's actually led to that? Mm. Yeah. Now, it, it does sound like, you know, yeah, it's just got to a point where um, something needs to be done. Um, yeah. So anyway, yeah, well, you know, huh. good on us, I think, and good on you for um, being, <laughs> having spotted that and, um, you know, kind of got it out there. Um, but, I mean, that's not the only incident that's kind of been around, right? No, it doesn't seem that way because my, Mark Gerrard's quite – it sounds like the teams that – Kirtley's been in, or it sounds like the teams that Mark Gerard has been in, yeah. um, because when Mark Gerard said that everyone's read about people, the thing is we haven't, mm. right? There actually hasn't been any any widespread knowledge or anything. Mm. So it sounds like the teams that Mark Gerard's been in have contained most of the stories, because clearly he thinks we've read about other incidents, but we haven't. Mm. So I guess this probably raises an interesting question about, you know, even the Digby Yuani incident in Melbourne the week before, Right. Now, I'm, in no way am I insinuating that there are any other players involved or anything untoward with on, and I certainly don't have, you know, I only know what everyone else knows about that. Right. But given how adept the Rebels and, you know, probably the Wallabies have demonstrated they have been over the past year, two years, however long currently has been in Melbourne, given how they've demonstrated how good they are at hiding stories from the media, yeah. are we 100% sure that as per the Melbourne Rebels media statement, that no of the other, of the other uh, Rebels players were involved in the Digby Uani incident. Yeah, that's an interesting point, isn't it? Because, um, you know, if there's anything we know from, for example, that Amigo, the Amigos photo, yeah. um, is that they, these guys don't tend to just go around in small, you know, ones and twos. It seems to, no. be, seems to be a bit of a group, and it seems to be a group of the same sort of people who would seem to be in bars finding themselves in strange situations, right? Yeah. Um, and So maybe uh, you're so, so it's an interesting kind of... But, you know, it's you're a right. question. It lifts the lid on my mind. I think, oh, yeah, how do we know there wasn't anybody else there, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, you know, if a, if a tree falls in the forest sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I know for sure, for example, you know, remember, was it, was it last year? And there was that strange incident where a car got driven into several other cars down a road and then into a tree. Um, and somehow it seems to have, you know, driven itself there and no one can find who'd driven it and all this sort of stuff. And we, we got some rumours about who we think was in the car. Um, but not why they would have been in a car driving it into other cars down a street and then into a tree. And why was it that no, you know, police action was taken and all these sorts of things. And, you know, uh, they, it's, these, um, these aren't, and maybe this is the sort of incidents that Mark Gerard's talking about. The sort of saying, guys, this has been going on for, for, for ages. Yeah. And, you know, maybe it's a case of he thinks that everyone does know about it because everyone he knows knows about it. Yeah, <laughs> like that. You know, it seems like yeah. All of it, you know, all it's common knowledge. No, no, it's common knowledge among your people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah. I'm not sure it's common knowledge here, among though, us. That you know, let let's be realistic. This there's been trouble with young men playing a contact sport. You know, you're full of adrenaline, and then you've got a few drinks in you. There's been trouble like this for years. It's mm. not a new thing, you know. Yeah, I, I couldn't I, agree I more. I put my hand up and say, yes, made some mistakes as well when you were Absolutely. full of drinking. Mm. You played a, a rugby game. But the difference was you didn't go racing out to the newspapers on Sunday morning and ring them up and say, why don't you publish a story? Now you've got this Twitter that you press the button. So what are players being told about it? I mean, to me, it would seem the sensible thing is you're not going to ring a newspaper and tell them what your mate did. So why are you going to press a tweet and tell them what you did? Well, Scott, I've actually got a different approach to that a little bit. Um, I, I don't know of anyone under the age of 25 who doesn't have at least Facebook um, and who doesn't have, you know, probably Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. 
right? Quite simply, the players of today, they're a different generation. You know, like they, they were raised on social media. They've had all of this stuff. But it's who they are, right? So the younger you'll, generation... You'll have to get out more, Kat, because I know plenty of people I'm 25 don't have Twitter. Well, I may have to get out more, Scott. I'm happy to go with that. <laughs> but, but quite simply, there's a younger generation for whom social media is just a way of life, right? And in some cases, it's almost an objective indicator of how popular and influential you are. For example, I have 553,766 followers, which makes me more than twice as popular as someone with 198,077 followers. Mm-hmm. Yes, they are real numbers. Right? And together, we're more important than you, right? <laughs> but the, quite simply, it's just the way of life, and it's certainly not going anywhere. You can't put the genie back in the bottle, right? But I think, for me, I'm, I'm a bit concerned about, about it because there's this idea that it, this story, the use of social media is the problem. Right, and certainly, certainly, if you watch Rugby HQ, you'll think that that's the issue. But I think that it's kind of starting to expose a generational divide between commentators and club administrators, uh, on the one hand, and then the players on the other. Because I think we need to acknowledge that it's only in sporting circles that we think a drunken assault on a work colleague is a minor offence. <laughs> and I think only in sport do we pardon people by saying, "Oh, they shouldn't be sacked because it's not that bad," and we've all done worse. Right, because there's a statement doesn't exactly cover a team or a coding glory. I think what we need to do is get used to the fact that social media is just part of this rapid cultural shift and it's happening right now. Yeah. Right? So it's yeah. certainly not causing it, but it's it's a big part of it. Yeah. Right? And Look, I, we, I agree with what you're saying about yeah. the, the, the incidents involved and, and I have never, ever seen you know, no matter how many drinks anyone had had, someone hit their captain. Never, yeah. ever, and it's wrong. And hitting I've anyone. I punch wrong. on it, teammates. I can, I can understand punching on it, trading. I've seen that a number of times. Yeah, yeah. Right? I've seen look, that. Cat, people punch teammates when they're at a bar very late at night. It does happen. Yes. It's not right. I'm, I'm not condoning it. Don't get no. me wrong there. But what I'm saying to you is what are the players, what advice are they getting on how to handle this sort of thing? Because, I mean, really, you know, we all we've all heard the saying: "What goes on tour stays on tour." Well, I are think they it's changing. That sort of basic advice, do you think? Well, I I don't think they should, Scott. I think that we're on a, I think we're on the cusp of a cultural shift. Now, I know I'm going to get pasted in comments on the podcast for saying this, but I think we're on this cusp of a cultural shift. I think we need to get used to the fact that players have their own voice, and they can, will, and probably should tweet and expose those things that happen in a team environment that don't meet minimal that don't that don't meet minimum societal expectations, yeah. right? So I think that it's a player's responsibility as an individual to expose homophobia if their teammates are being disgusting. Certainly you can try and deal with it in-house, but if you're not getting there, I, I don't see a problem with them doing that. Now, I don't, as I said, I, I don't know what's happened. If this is a case in the Vuna Beal incident, I don't know that. But I do see that we're on this cusp of this shift and it's not going away. So if a team wants to present a squeaky clean family-friendly image, what about instead of pretending you've got a squeaky clean family image, you actually work with your players and get them to not belt their teammates? Mm. Yeah. Right? Like, it's actually a quicker way of going. I know it's a cultural shift, but surely that's more effective mm. than trying to put the genie back in the bottle and telling Cooper Vernon to delete his Twitter account. Yeah. Right? Because no. he's not the issue. Yeah. No, definitely. Well, yeah. Uh, so, big issues. But what we do know is there's there's plenty out and about. I think um, just to lighten the mood a little bit, I thought yeah. was, I thought there was a fantastic tweet you picked up from James O'Connor where he was almost he almost moved to Perth. Yeah. What is Because uh, t- to your point, Scott, um, believe it or not, not everybody lives in Twitter. Um, 
So, so what, what, what was that tweet, Kat? My favourite tweet of the week has got to be James O'Connor's just arrived at game, feeling good. And then he's put in big capitals, not leaving this field without a win. <laughs> so that tended to indicate to me that if that had lost, he was going to stay there and he was going to sign with the force. There he was. He was announcing it. He yeah. was just going to just stay on the field. Which very easily could have happened with the Rebels. Um, well, you don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, look, I think what, uh, so what we're saying is you're going to keep an eye on um, – because it's, you know – if you, what I think is really interesting is with some of these tweets and then a few other things you see in the media, you can sometimes tr- triangulate these stories together, can't you? Yes. And kind of you can you can extract quite a lot of information. And so um, I think what we're saying is you're going to keep a bit of an eye on this for us and we're going to check in with you every now and again and get your reading on what's going on. Well, hopefully I haven't bored everyone too much, yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good one. All right, well, look, good to talk to you. Um, don't get too cold up there in the Blue Mountains. <laughs> Yeah, I'll try. <laughs> and, I'll rug up. Uh, yeah, rug up. And um, look, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll catch up with you um, uh, again in, an, in another show soon. Awesome. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Scott. Have a good one, guys. See you, Kat. See you, Kat. <laughs> so, mate, it's just you and me now. No more fancy guests. <laughs> okay. No so, more gossip. No more gossip. All righty. So, look, um, so, look, we've already taken uh, the listeners' time um, today, so I think we're going to go with a bit of a, and it's not because I can smell my dinner um, being put on the table in the background or anything like that. Um, but um, first of all, last weekend, what were the key, your key takeaways from last weekend's results? Uh, well, the first one has to be the Brumbies. You know, are they on a downward, not a spiral, but are they on a downward trend at the moment? Mm. I mean, they've, you know, after that first half, we saw whatever it was two weeks ago, I think, or three weeks ago against the Sharks where they played some of the best rugby you've seen for years. Then the second half against the Sharks, you know, they, they seem to go off the boil. And since then, it's not really been happening. They had lost to the Stormers. They had, you know, they got out of jail against the Bulls. And then, you know, I said last week on the podcast that I didn't think they'd be complacent against the Kings, and they certainly didn't seem to be. The first 20 minutes, they were very good. But then they either switched off for... They allowed the Kings back into the game. And from there, they were just hanging on. Mm. And lots of the things that we've liked so much about the Brumbies this year weren't there. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see this weekend uh, whether or not that's a trend or whether it's just a little bit of a blip and they played four South African teams in a row and they've had hard games. And We saw this week that they said they'd been together for 31 days straight and they needed a break. I don't really know how that affects your, your play on the rugby field, but that was one of the things that I identified. Mm. Uh, it'll be interesting the next two weeks because I think they've got... Who have they got this week? they got the Hurricanes? Uh, no, sorry. Highlanders, Highlanders, I think, yes. Yeah, so, I mean, that'll be a tough game down at Dunedin. The, Hur- the Highlanders hurting that they're none from six. So, eventually, some team's going to go down there and get burnt. Mm. And then after that, the Brumbies play the Reds. So, it's a big two weeks for the Brumbies, and we'll, mm. we'll find out. Yeah, I mean, but so the mail I've got from somebody who spoke to somebody in, in the camp is, yeah, there's just this feeling of, you know, they're just a little flat, you know, just, I don't know whether it's too much time together, whether it's just a bit knackered, whether they had a big pre-season and sometimes, you know, what comes around goes around. Um, but then the other thing I couldn't help noticing in the game, you know, I, I felt there's a few things like, you know, what the with Pat McCabe coming back and what they did with uh, 10 and 12 there. 
Um, and then, and obviously with no Jesse Mogg, uh, they just seemed to lack a lot of uh, penetration, didn't they? It was a lot of bashing ahead against a brick wall, it seemed. They did. Well, uh, Pat McCabe, I think, played 60 minutes and didn't pass the ball once. Yeah. So, yes, he got over the gain line, and if that's all his job is, he did that well. Mm. But that's not how the Brumbies have been playing. They've been playing really well with their 10-12 combination, sparking a bit of attacking intent. And then they went to, well, they looked a bit like the Wallabies attack of last year. It's amazing. That's exactly what it looked like. It was just an attritional thing. Yeah. And Mm. I'm I'm not suggesting that Pat McCabe was the only problem there. Mm. But his inclusion at 12 changed the whole dynamic of what was going on there. Um, It's also hard to get a read how Christian Lealofano went at 10 when the back line wasn't operating because it was getting clogged up at 12. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's been lots of talk about Lealofano who played 12 but could easily slot into 10 for the Wallabies. First time he gets a run there this year, and I think we came away not knowing whether or not he's going to be a Wallaby level 10 this year. Yeah. Um, now, it would appear that you know he'll immediately go back, well, I presume he'll go back to 12. I don't know what that does for Pat McKay, but would presume they'll bring Tamua back in, and then Lee Lafano's playing at 12. I saw Jake White had said that he wanted to put him at 10 to show Robbie Deans that he's got versatility, but it certainly didn't showcase Lee Lafano at 10 that game. No, definitely not. Yeah, so anyway, I mean, it's everyone's treating it as a loss. It was just a draw, or as though someone said, you know, the Brumbies walked away with two points and uh, the Kings walked away with three. Um, out of that game. So, um, you know, anyway, uh, a big shock. And like you say, it's not like they've got two easy games to sort that out. Um, we also saw the Tars. The Tars ended up, well, getting a bit of thumping by the end, didn't they? They did, particularly by uh, Julian Sevilla. Yes. Well, the Sevilla brothers. I, yeah, well, that's right. Yeah, but I wouldn't like to try and tackle Julian Sevilla. Oh, my God. Um, the younger Sevilla was an absolute... He was a, at a standout. Uh, in terms of around the breakdown, but Julian Sevilla running at you full pace, very reminiscent of the Jonah Lomo days. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, they the Tars. I mean, they kept they're trying. They're, they're giving it. Um, they're, they're trying to stick to the game plan that Czech has given them. Mm. Run the ball, hold on to the ball, just keep playing and playing and playing. But I wrote an article yesterday that they're losing the games at the breakdown. It's it's all well and good to say, hold the ball, keep running it from all over the field and just keep going through the phases. But you still have to retain your ball at the breakdown. And the Tars built momentum quite nicely a number of occasions, particularly in that second half. And then they lost the ball at the breakdown. Um, mm. And as soon as that happens, you lose all momentum. And, you know, you're, you're pretty buggered when you've been running all over the field, you know, trying to go through multiple phases. So I don't think the game plan is quite fitting where the Tars need to go. It's so radically different from what everybody else in the comp is playing. Everyone else in the comp is recognising that the breakdown is a dangerous area. Um, The referees, everybody's still trying to understand exactly how it'll be uh, interpreted, the laws. Mm. And the Tars are taking, you know, too many risks at the breakdown by just carrying the ball for too long. Yeah. I know you've got some... Stats that you've been working on, which are going to be fascinating to see, that just show just how crazy um, some of the stuff they're doing. And I, I haven't seen stats like that probably since the Brumbies were under uh, um, Andy Friend, um, and we know how that ended. Um, so 
you know, unlike uh, Scott's uh, uh, Fox rugby commentators would have you believe, just hanging onto the ball forever isn't necessarily the answer. Um, I mean, some of my observations out of that game, I'm just looking back to my notes here. Um, it, had, I'd, uh, it had been a bit of a long day that day for me. Um, I had some real question marks out of McKibben and his uh, decision-making. Um, he really, you know, choosing when to run, when to kick, uh, what he's going to do, um, that seems to be, I've got a big question mark over, over that. Um, Bogan Barrett, is he the ugliest man in rugby? Uh, he is talented, though. Uh, it was another one of my questions. Um, and what a break Bernard Foley has. Um, I think he's walked away with uh, man of the round voted by Green and Gold Rugby uh, winners. He certainly knows how to uh, beat a man, doesn't he? Certainly. You know, he, that was the best game by far I've seen from him. Mm. You know, we've heard lots of talk about he's an ex-sevens player and what he could possibly do. He was an absolute standout. Yeah. Uh, he was beating them for fun, wasn't he? Oh, incredible. Mm. Great footwork. And, you know, he picked the right time to do it too. Mm. So yeah, I was very impressed with him. Yeah. No, I think someone asked me the question on Twitter, you know, so is he going to get himself into contention for something else? I, I, I mean, you know, I'm not an expert in these fields, but the one thing I don't feel I've seen from him yet is like a distribution game. Um, this running game really seems to be coming on. Um, how that works with the rest of the back line, I'm not sure. I think I've just seen him do a lot of uh, shuffling on um, otherwise. I don't know if you've seen anything different in his game. No, I haven't. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's been pretty stock standard the last few weeks. He just he exploded you know, this week. But I find it really interesting. People say someone like Foley might be in contention for the Wallabies. He's had one good game. The mm-hmm. other games have been fine, don't yeah. get me wrong, but he's had one good game and all of a sudden people are saying potential Wallaby. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like I think Brett Harris said last week, Pat McCutcheon, prob- potential Wallaby. <laughs> Realistically, uh, and actually, well, you raise a thing there that I've got. I mean, you know, no offense to Pat McCutchman, although I he was always an, an like a he was like one of those many sevens that the Tatars had lying around doing nothing um, for for a while there. I don't know how he's ever ended up being a, a contender at eight because he is quite obviously not an eight um, as far as an impact ball runner, um, and I, you know, I and I think that's a real problem for the Tars in their back row. Um, although one thing you've got to give the Tars scrum at the moment is uh, they absolutely they took the, the Kane scrum apart. On, yeah, the, on, scrum, on the, the scrum's good. No yeah. doubt about that. Yeah. Um, uh, they're, they're just not taking advantage of it. No. No, for sure. So it was interesting in that, that article that I did um, yesterday. The last clip that I put in is that I think the last Tars scrum where they got the short arm and Michael Hooper took the quick tap. Um, is Michael Hooper the guy you want crashing the ball forward at that stage? You know, probably not. That's mm. where you want someone like Palu. But the interesting thing was they dominated the scrum. Um, they were going forward. And yet when you look at it, the Canes got out of the scrum faster than the Tars forwards did. Yeah. So they've got advantage, but they're not taking advantage of it. Yeah. So. Anyway, it, it all seems a bit uh, fraught. There, there's a lot of energy going in. We'll see if it can be kind of reapplied. Um, yeah, and by no means do I suggest, you know, I'm not happy to see a team having a crack. Mm. I love the attacking intent. I just think they need to balance it back a little bit. And mm. as I said, the, the numbers that I'll put out in an article here, the Tars are so radically different from what they're doing to the rest of the comp. Mm. And when you think about attacking teams at the moment, I mean, you think the Cheetahs, they're attacking, you know, you would think more than anyone. The Chiefs probably are right up there. 
Crusaders obviously have got some great attack in them. And what they're doing follows a pattern that's working. The Tars are going in the opposite direction. It might be exciting to watch. It's like a big sevens game, but it's not producing the results that the other teams are getting. Yeah, no, definitely. All right. Um, and then for the final game of uh, the, re- the, the week then was the Force and the Rebels. And uh, the Rebels seem to still have the wood over the Force. Um, did you get a chance to have a look at this one? I did. It was a pretty good game. Mm-hmm. It was an entertaining game. Um, just both sides are just lacking something, aren't they? Mm-hmm. They're... They don't have the punch and attack. Uh, Defence can be quite ordinary. Um, I think uh, C.S. Eberson at 10, I understand why he's there. He's, he's played reasonably well, but he's really, uh, I think, inhibiting the force mm. to what they can do. Um, some of the kicks in that game were just absolutely dreadful. And, and I don't understand with the Rebels why they started um, with... Uh, James O'Connor at the back um, and uh, the young bloke at 10. I mean, obviously, he's going to be a good player, but you know, you've got one star player because Kirtley Beale's not there. You want him touching the ball as much as possible. Play him at 10, play him at 12, get him involved. And they did that in the second half, and I thought the Rebels looked a lot better. Mm. Um, hard to understand that decision of basically keeping him at the back. No, yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, so yeah, it doesn't make things much better for the force. And well, and then you know the bad news that came out of that was um, your Hugh McMenamin going out with um, some sort of AC joint injury. We're still waiting to hear back um, as we as this podcast goes to air. Still waiting to hear back from a scan um, to see just how long he's going to be out. The speculation in the press was it might only be six weeks, which might mean that he could be back in time. Um, but that's not going to help the force because, I mean, he really was uh, dragging that pack along, I thought, um, and that's a real damage to both him and and the force. So, um, geez, let's, let's, let's hope he comes good. Um, the other yeah. news, the force can't, can't win a trick, is they've lost their Fords coach. Well, they're the, the incumbent Fords coach because I guess there, there had to be a bit, of a bit of a clash going on there between... Nick Styles, who we hear is going to the Reds, and um, and Michael Foley, who I think is pretty much a Ford's coach as well, is he not? Yes, and he's one of the best set piece coaches in Australia. Yeah. No, no matter what people think of him from his time at the Tars, he is one of the absolute best we've got at set piece. Mm. So, um, I mean, the the model these days seems to be that the head coach, um, depending on whether they're a backs or forwards coach you know, sometimes doesn't take a role. But I guess at the force, it doesn't make a lot of sense when you've got somebody who is that good at mm-hmm. set piece not to be having a direct role. So, for example, if you think about, you know, the Reds, uh, Link is the forwards coach, so he takes that role as well as the head coach. Um, Michael Checker does the same at the Waratahs. Um, Damien Hill obviously doesn't at the, at the Rebels. Uh, Matt Cobain's their forwards coach down there. Um, and at the Brumbies... Jake White um, leaves that to, as we heard last week, the team and Laurie Fisher. Mm. Um, but yeah, so maybe that was the reason. You know, Nick Styles, you know, might have sort of felt a little bit squeezed having um, Foley there. But yeah, he's coming up to the Reds to join Richard Graham. So it's a a, um, a reuniting of the Force coaches from last year. Mm. We'll be running the Reds next year, um, and we see that um, Jim Mackay 
who is currently the attack coach, will be staying on next year as senior assistant coach. Oh. Um, so what it'll be interesting to see the dynamics of the basically the force coaching team, except for Jim McKay, obviously, mm-hmm. um, taking on the Reds next year. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, Richard Graham obviously found it good working with Nick Stiles uh, while he was there. So we'll see. Mm. All we need to now is... Uh a few people to move out of the Reds and a bit of recruitment from the force, and hey, <laughs> yeah. presto, they can recreate completely what they had over in Perth. Well, it's interesting. The force are obviously working very hard because they, the talk this week was that they were really working on James Hansen and Rob Simmons and Luke Morahan from the Reds. Mm. Um, Simmons and Hansen are staying with the Reds, but Luke Morahan has gone to the force, so... Those two clubs, you know, there's a fair bit of changing going on between them, both oh. in playing and coaching stock. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a yeah, bit of a revolving door yep. uh, going on there. Um, and then, so I'm trying to think, what else were the any other big stories from the week we've had so far? Um, I think that's the main things. I mean, we've got, uh, and if you don't already, if you if you get the, uh, we we do a, a daily email now, which kind of wraps up the, the top headlines um, that it, as they come out, and the and the email goes out in the morning Australian time, um, so you can get those stories to your inbox. You can just sign up. There's a little box on the homepage. Just press the button, and you just put your email in, and you'll get that each day. Um, the other thing I read was, uh, yeah, James O'Connor had been making noises about going to the Brumbies and uh, has been rebuffed. Um, which now he's making noises about going to the Force. Oh, really? Going back? Yeah, there, there, he apparently there was an article that said that he has he has made the comment that I wouldn't be against going back. Yeah, I I, I, I hear uh, scuttlebutt that maybe he hasn't been offered a number that's very pleasing from the Rebels. Um, for his next year, so we'll see. Um, that might be why we're seeing lots of uh, noise going around. Um, okay, so look, uh, next weekend, um, just uh, having a look ahead to see you know uh, the games that we've got on. Um, so yeah, the Brumbies are away at the Highlanders. We've talked about that's going to be a tough one. Uh, another toughie is the Reds at the Chiefs. I'm expecting this could be a, a cracker of a game. Yeah. Um, the Reds are slowly rising. Mm-hmm. Um, the Chiefs, they're already up there. They've re- retained most of their form from last year. They're a little bit slow to start, but this could be a really good game. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I had planned to go and watch a Premier Rugby game in Brisbane, and then I saw that this game's on at 2.30 um, Brisbane time, so I've canned that, and I'll be in front of the box watching this game. Yeah, it's going to be that good. That, that should be a cracker. Um, and it's and the Brumbies game is uh, the night before is on Friday night, um, and then we have got the Rebels. I mean, these games don't get any, don't get that much easier uh, for the Australian teams. The Tars have got the week off, so they've got four points in the bag. Um, Rebels are hosting the Kings. I mean, you know, you know, the Kings basically just did the Brumbies for points. Um, if they can put the same thing against the Rebels, you think they're going to take it? When you they put four tries on the Brumbies, so what are they going to do against the Rebels? Yeah. Um... I tell you that I'm not sure the guy's name, but the number eight, the reserve number eight that came on in that second half for the Kings, mm. uh, I'd imagine he'd start because he played so well last week. He's an absolute wrecking ball. So uh, I think the Rebels have got a few players back though. I think Gareth Dell's back, so that might stiffen up things for them a little bit. But I don't know where the Rebels are going. They're just drifting along, I think. Mm. Um, and I think you know, unfortunately for the Australian Conference. That's the same with the force. Those two teams are just going to bumble along at the bottom of the 
ladder for the year and will drag down you know, what some of the other Australian teams are doing. Mm. Yeah, because you've got the force. I mean, God, they're, they're hosting the Crusaders. <laughs> yeah, so. and with Dan Carter back. Oh, dear. Okay. Like, yeah, okay. It's not going to get any easier, is it? No. Um, so, yeah, so, that, so they're the other things that we've got. I mean, there's some great clashes around. And then in South Africa then overnight, you've got the Stormers hosting the Sharks and the Bulls with the Cheetahs. They're another couple of crackers. There are. I watched the Cheetahs play the Stormers last week. Great game of rugby. Mm. So yeah, everybody's, you know, all the games are looking actually pretty good. Yeah, no, it's a good one. Oh. All right, that's going to be tough. I'm going to uh, have to try. Blues, Blues v Hurricanes as well. Well, that's another great game. Oh, God, I missed that. Yeah, that's there. Yeah. Um, all righty, well, look, uh, that's all we've got time for this week. But that's, you know, you've got one hell of a weekend of rugby coming up. Um, I've heard of the some of these stats you've got coming through. Scott, you've employed a supercomputer to crunch it. Um, they sound pretty mind-blowing, a bunch of them, actually. So I look forward to seeing those infographic-led articles. Yes, I'll try and get those out over the next couple of days. Um, mm. Some really interesting numbers, uh, particularly how the TARs are playing compared to the rest of the comp. Well, it's going to be fascinating. I, I look forward to seeing that. And, and the other one I've got is the referees that are giving the most penalties. Ah. And there's going to be a shock for a few people, Ooh, okay. particularly those who've been giving Steve Walsh a hard time. <laughs> yeah, hands off Aussie Steve. Um, all right, mate, look, good to talk to you as always. Thanks for coming on. I'm, I'm sorry to put the structure back on. <laughs> or, or was you, it in chronological order? Do you prefer to play what's in front of you? or you, you're more of a, I think you're more of a first phase man, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. Need a bit of structure. <laughs> anyway, mate, yeah, good to talk to you. Um, thanks, everybody, for, uh, for downloading or tuning in or whatever else it is. I should also say, if I don't know how you get this podcast, whoever it is that I'm talking to that's listening to it, um, but there's lots of different ways. One of the things we've got, we're using SoundCloud, which is a new podcast host. And actually what you can do is if you look um, at the post where you uh, get the, um, you know, that we put up each week that the podcast is in and you look at, it looks like kind of like a sound wave. What you can actually do is leave comments throughout. So if you, for example, disagree with a point at a certain point in time, you can actually just throw a comment in there. Um, it's really interesting. It'd be great to kind of pick up some more of those comments um, and more suggestions from people online. Um, I actually got a couple of suggestions uh, during the week from, from Bjorn, um, who's one of the, somebody on Twitter. I'll try and work them in next week. We're just a bit too chocker this, uh, this podcast. But anyway, interact, fellas. Uh, we want to hear more from you. Uh, and um, thanks again for downloading, letting us come in your ears, and we'll uh, talk to you next week. Thanks, everyone. Yeah, right there, right there.